You're listening to an L.A. Kings podcast. For more episodes of this and every other Kings program, visit lakings.com slash podcast. Velarde carries it ahead. Four on two. Velarde to Burke. Slides it down and they score! Off and running, supposedly. Hi, Jim. Morning. Uh, um, well, you know what? It's not as if like we're reuniting after um, however many months it's been, because I've kind of um, seen you a whole bunch this summer. It's like uh, it's like a mini bubble. Like I don't see other people. I just I, I go bubble. you know see you and Susie. Um, yes, we have. It's been yeah. a little while. Well, I saw you the other day when you but dropped we're, off the we're microphone. Right that was well, a brief visit, not even, you know, outside distance. No, it was the Tupperware. Yeah. It was the Tupperware from the leftovers from dinner. That was the most important part of the drop-off because I, I know you guys, you know, the the amazing cooking that Susie does, and you need to have enough Tupperware so that your hunger can be satisfied after each large meal. That what you're made. not mentioning, of course, is my inability to remember to give you back Tupperware to give to Carolyn for some of the outstanding food that she dropped off here. And if I was aware and in the moment, I would have exchanged Tupperware with you. But no, I just took and did not give. Maybe we should just have a Tupperware party. We should just do a Tupperware party. Uh, So as we tape this, first of all, welcome back to the Fox and Faust, the podcast. I guess we're, we're starting season two. And like anything else that has to do with uh, the current uh, state of the pandemic world that we live in, um, we're wondering, you know, kind of what's going to happen. And we're a couple days away from the season and training camp's going. We've not been there because like anything else right now, um, we try to keep gatherings to a minimum. And uh, so practices, training camp and whatnot has been underway for the L.A. Kings and by all accounts, it's it's uh, been a good training camp. All the things that I, I hear from coaches and players and front office is that this is essentially going to the you know the plan that they set forth for this season. We will talk about all that stuff, uh, but I, I just want to lay out here what we want to go over on this season opening show because it's been a little while since I guess we last talked to you. Uh, the Stanley Cup was awarded. And we have a, a reigning Stanley Cup champion coming into the season. We were wondering if we would get through a postseason in a bubble. We're now wondering if we can get through a regular season without a bubble. So we'll do all of that. And then we'll look forward to the season itself, what we're excited about. Uh, new division alignment, new schedule structure, uh, new format for how uh, the, the games will be spaced out. All of that to come. But I want to start from the beginning, which was where we last left left you uh, in, I think it was late May, early June, and we were right on the cusp of, of training camps reopening for the Stanley Cup playoffs. And I remember, as we were talking about this, Jim, you know, we were going through in the in a couple months without hockey of the scenarios and, okay, how are they going to structure it? What are they going to do? Are they going to add teams? Are they going to... So we had our 2014 tournament. We have a Stanley Cup champion. And I think both of us agreed as we were watching these games over the summer and calling some of them that the playoffs produced a worthy champion. And that was 
I think a legitimate concern is like, are we going to get a fluky winner? No. We got the team that most people at the beginning of the year felt would win the Stanley Cup in the Tampa Bay Lightning. I don't no, know about I, you. And I think that many people are in agreement that, you know, there was discussions of an asterisk and things of that sort because of the circumstances. But I think once everyone got together and thought about things, they realized how difficult it probably was to win the past Stanley Cup. Even compared to, you go years and years back, just so many different elements that were unknowns. At the same time, the focus that was needed was probably brought up a few notches. And at the end of all things, I think that, you know, the Dallas Stars and the Tampa Bay Lightning earned the respect of a lot of people because they were able to focus on the task at hand and get it done. And uh, there were a lot of other things they had to think about, but they were thinking about the on ice. The, the fans were missed, especially in the playoffs. I mean, it goes without saying because anyone who's been to an NHL playoff game just knows the excitement and the atmosphere. Having said that, the intensity and speed and execution of those games, very impressive. I was I was impressed by how the quality didn't drop off one bit. I think the lesson learned was the, the qualification round turned into a glorified exhibition for the teams that had already qualified for the playoffs. Um, but in terms of the quality of play throughout the postseason, we did we did some games in the opening rounds, and then we did most of the Western Conference final. And uh, as we were calling the game, we had the fake crowd noise pumped into our ears, and I'm assuming that's going to be this, uh, the case coming into this season to a lesser degree. I I, I instantly I, I lost track of the fact for a few moments at a time that we're doing this without fans. Yeah, we're calling it off a monitor in Culver City, and there's all there's all that. But I, I could escape into the sport, and that's a, I think the fundamental reason why we're playing this year beyond the business ramifications. Like you can escape into sports without fans. It sucks because the fans are why we you know why we all love it. We all, we all went to a game, right? That inspired us to be fans. But we can still appreciate the sport even when it's played in an empty arena, and I I, I was really impressed by that. You know, you have sport. two guys running at each other in full speed, and I, I think yeah. it just creates an yeah. intensity unto itself. And what's at stake? The championship of the best league in the world. Uh, the competition is something that is something that you don't necessarily. I guess you can learn how to get better at it, but it's something that I think that's just inside of everyone. And once you drop that puck, the competition value is there. I, you know, the, the one thing that stands out for me, and, and I'm going to bring it into this year as we look forward to the season starting. The one thing I learned was how committed the players are to the game because they had reasons to make excuses. But how many skilled people work at the NHL and the NHLPA. Because the details and planning that were necessary to get it done, I mean, they prove that the game is bigger than the individuals on both sides. It's bigger than the business side. It's bigger than the hockey side. Everything comes together to get it done. And how they could still play that game at such an extremely high level 
they, they, they were able to get it done. And I think the NHL and the way they organized it and the NHLPA, and the reason I'm bringing it forward because I was able to go on the NHL a media site and read the document regarding the protocols to play this season. And there's going to be some hiccups. There have already been some. We'll get to that probably in a few minutes. But if you want to read an impressive document, something that shows you that people did their research, they talked to the people that were on top of things, the medical experts. And again, it's because of the situation that's going on. We know it's not all going to be perfect. That will never be the case. But I can't think of anything after reading that document that someone left out and forgot about and didn't think about. I mean, they, they were under every rock to find the best way to get things going here. You know, it's funny to me how in normal circumstances, when Gary Bettman comes out to award the Stanley Cup to the captain of the winning team, he's booed by fans. Maybe it's just a tradition that the commissioner of a sports league gets booed. Gary Bettman was inducted into the Hall of Fame before this. And I'm not the first person to try to heap effusive praise on somebody, especially if it's not deserved. But let me tell you that what Bettman and what everybody at the league and the PA, they, they both you know deserve a ton of credit, but Bettman especially to say, we're going to do this, and we're going to make it look good, and we're going to, you know, the action is going to be good, we're going to have a worthy champion, and now we're going to play another season. And he was adamant, because there were owners, there are owners coming into this year that, let's be clear, we're not exactly keen on losing money, because they're going to lose money this year. Everybody is going to lose money. The Kings in a regular year lose money, at least on paper. Like, every single owner that he had to wrangle to get this done if he wasn't worthy of the Hall of Fame before, he certainly is now. And I'm impressed beyond... I mean, we were sitting and we were watching these games either on television or we were working them. The NHL didn't miss a beat. You could talk about hockey and not feel bad about, you know, okay, the circumstances of, of that they're playing in a bubble here. Um, but the, the one video that did stick out to me, which, uh, you know, unfortunately is from the losing team... Uh, I loved the idea from uh, the Dallas Stars and, and Tampa Bay Lightning. Maybe this goes to show the resolve of the players that you're talking about and, and how it is a hard trophy to win. Anton Hudobin, I think it was after winning the Western Conference Final. And he's in the locker room and he's got the, the big chain around his neck because Dallas had been awarding that to their top player. And he looks over his shoulder and talks to the guys, we're not going home! <laughs> and... I, I just I loved it. I loved that that you know whichever team could rally to the moment, and even in a normal year that's the case. Whichever team rallies to the moment and finds a way, and the Kings had that right. Their backs were against the wall. The reverse sweep of San Jose, right? They found something that year. Goes to show that this sport, this sport can endure a hell of a lot if it can get through that environment uh, and and still make a success out of it. We got a chance to get to know Mr. Hood open more than we normally would have, didn't we? <laughs> we, we did. And that was yeah. great for a lot yeah. of people. Yeah, you yeah. know, At the, coaches the access, talked yeah. about the, the, the focus point more than anyone, of course, because they're in control of that regardless of the circumstance, regardless if it's a perfect, easy way, you know, n not, nothing like COVID to deal with. They're always in control of that. But uh, 
you know, having talked or heard from some of the players that were in the bubble, uh, they admitted that getting out of that bubble wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Like, and, and that's on your mind, right? How do you keep those players focused enough that when you're in a game where the slightest of mistakes might make the difference in the game, which might make the difference in the series, you've got to stay focused. And, and you know, to a certain extent, everyone was, but, uh, you know, the ability to pull those guys together and keep them together. And again, you know, I, I just, you know, the game is bigger than the parts. And uh, mm-hmm. I think it showed through in the end. Did we learn? Well, I, I shouldn't say did we learn. I think we learned an awful lot on a variety of things. But from a hockey perspective, what did we learn from the winning team or maybe how the playoffs were were played? You know, it, it, we hear every year about our teams going to try to copy the Stanley Cup champion. For the first time, I feel like there isn't much that was unknown or, or before Tampa went into the season. They knew that they had a team that they had to change coming into that season. They had to get a little bit tougher. They still had to have high-end skill. They still had to outscore their opponents. But I don't know. What, what was what was your takeaway in terms of a, a hockey sense of is, if a team is going to copy or try to do what Tampa did did we learn anything from this champion? We learned the exact same things that the Kings learned when they won the Stanley Cup, and that is this. If you can draft one of the top three forwards in the game, you have a chance of winning. Kucherov. If you can draft one of the top three defensemen in the game, Hedman, you have a chance of winning. If you can draft one of the top three goaltenders in the world, Vasilevsky, you have a chance of winning. And you put them all on the same team at the same time in their prime, you have a real good chance of winning. So build a team. It's going to take a while. You talked about the changes they made. Hugely important. But they made changes without panicking and without giving up on the plan. They added to as opposed to tore it down. And there were people, you know, talking about Tampa Bay because their skill was through the roof years previous, but then they, they realized they had to go through it. They had to go through it and learn those lessons, but they took those lessons. They kept the core together long enough where that same core group could learn from the lessons and then execute based on what they learned. And Tampa Bay missed the playoffs in 2017. Let's not forget that. The 2016-17 season where they had many yep. of the same players, they missed the playoffs. And in 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 the years prior, right, they they got swept, swept in the first round by Columbus. Swept. Let's let's not forget this. That yeah, for as good a team as they were in the regular season, they were unable to put together a winning performance in the postseason. And the, the I think it's an enduring lesson that comes up every year is that regular season success and postseason success are two wildly different things in the National Hockey League. To build a team that's good in the regular season is very different from building a team that'll win a Stanley Cup. To do both is impressive. Um, and, and Tampa, in in many respects, did both, but they sacrificed a little bit in the regular season. They knew they had to. They knew they couldn't run up and down 
with their opposition every single night. They knew that they had to play in a certain way. They took heat for that. They had stumbles in the regular season. That's okay. It's okay to not win your division. It's okay to not win the president's trophy because the, the other trophy's a hell of a lot better. <laughs> that it is. And, and, you know, they, they made some of the changes during the offseason, but then they made some of the changes at the trade deadline, right? So Maroon was the biggest acquisition that they th- said, okay, we've got to figure out how to be tougher and sacrificing ice time to a lesser skilled player, taking it away that ice time from higher skilled players, but understanding how that would work in the end. Uh, then a, a Blake Coleman, for instance, right, at the trade deadline. You know, right. skates well enough, but he's an edgy player. That's what they brought him about. Bogosian, guy whose career was basically over, stayed home, but mostly a tough defenseman. Luke Shen, right, couldn't play on the Kings, so to speak. Everyone will say, oh, you're like, and you can go through those types of players, but it's the fit. Barkley Goodrow they brought in. So again, and, and players that are, they're NHL players, but they, the teams that traded them to Tampa Bay certainly were not in the same category as Tampa Bay. Well, beyond that, maybe they had squeezed whatever they could get out of those players. Um, you know, I look at a guy like Blake Coleman, like, what's he going to do on a Devils team that isn't going to compete? All right, well, let's see if we can get a return out of it. Barkley Goodrow, what's he going to do on a San Jose Sharks team that isn't going to compete? All right, let's see what we can get out of it. They got a first-round yeah. pick. You know, it was, you know, 31st overall for the Sharks, but that's, you know, the 31st best prospect in, in that and, year's draft. Maybe, okay. maybe the best example of, and I hear it now, and, and it's just my opinion, but at the time of the trade, first-rounder for Goudreau? First what? <laughs> you, yeah, you know I what makes that, it worth yeah. it? Stanley Cup ring. Yeah. yeah. And, and and it's still being talked about now with the LA Kings. Braden Shen, Wayne Simmons. Led to two Stanley Cups. Whichever way you look at it. Whichever right. way the, you the, could, the knock-on effect, yeah. I, I mean, the Kings ended up winning two Stanley Cups. Okay, Braden Shen keeps going. Wayne's at kind of the end of his career. Braden just won a Stanley Cup. Cup. That, 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 that doesn't matter to me. I would make that deal a million times in a row. If you can guarantee me two Stanley Cups, it's done. And it's done again and again and again. And that's why, uh, you know, I, I, my next question is going to be, what, what can the Kings learn or take away from the playoffs and, you know, even from the winning team, I look at the moves over the last little while. And, you know, under, under you know, Dean Lombardi, they were swinging for the fences, trying to hit that magic combination. And you know what? They struck out. That's that's the analogy, right? You know, they were trying to hit it. They wanted Milan Lucic to, to be a part of a playoff run that year. Um, you know, they, they made moves that in hindsight were like, eh, okay, yeah, you could scratch your head, but you know what, if they, if they had paid off, it looked like geniuses, right? You know, so you got to take a chance in this business. Ilya Kovalchuk, I think we both agreed at the time, and I still believe this, and I'm going to sound, I'm sure a lot of Kings fans are going to, you know, <laughs> say that I sound like a fool. 
if I had to do the Ilya Kovalchuk deal again, I would. Because at the time, the Kings are coming off a first-round exit in the playoffs in which they didn't score more than three goals in a four-game sweep, right? What do we need? We need a goal scorer. All right, well, he's a free agent who's available, and we can outbid another team by tacking on an extra year to his contract. Okay. Did it put us in salary cap hell? Not really. Like, through all the deals that have that have been you know done over the last couple of years with the Kings in in this rebuild, trading away key pieces, they have a wealth of salary cap space, even though they have two buyouts on their books right now with Dion Phaneuf and Ilya Kovalchuk. So I, I look at it like, okay, you you took a shot and you missed, and now we're down this other path. So so the question, I guess, long winded way to get there. Do the Kings learn something from the Lightning winning the Stanley Cup in the, in the manner in which they did it this past summer? Well, I, I think it's back to what I just talked about, and that is the patience aspect. And you, you have to know that it's going to take some time. I think you have to know that draft is important, regardless of salary caps and free agency and all of those things, which certainly can complement a team. But the draft is extremely important. And that's the way you you build the foundation. So learning or just reinforcing things you've already learned is, you know, I think you can put those both together. Uh, I think the Kings, it'll be interesting, you know, does skill, regardless of what happened, Tampa Bay is, you know, a team that can move that puck around. Oh you my know. gosh! And they can score. You know, and they—that's so they can score a, a big. They're the top of the league yeah. in scoring every year. And, and you know the the of the guys they added, the, they they did they they just needed that mix. They they recognized that fact. Uh, the Kings, when they were going after a Kovalchuk, for instance, realized they needed some offense, and they just. But then, it's all timing. When you look back on that, it's it's very interesting. Uh, the read of your team, your own book, the internal analysis and review is extremely important and can be wrong. But that's why they made those moves. They felt that they were one trade away then and then one trade at the deadline, and now they're back into that mix for a Stanley Cup contender. And... and and before I forget it, and it's in my head, it's because it's come up a couple times recently. There are moves, I, I believe, there are moves that you can make that get you closer to the playoffs and farther from the Stanley Cup. Yeah. Yeah. And certain teams need to do that. For instance, like one team to me I can think of is Montreal. They need to get into the playoffs. They just need to. Just... Their market, their history, their franchise, they need to get back in. They hope they're not making moves that will get them closer to the playoffs, but further from the Stanley Cup. Well, Detroit kicked the can down the road for years. They they made moves every single year because they wanted to keep the streak alive. And credit to them, they did. But it was at the, sac- it was at the expense of you know a, a huge rebuild that would then have to take place, which we're now seeing. Just about every interview I've done or when I've been asked my opinion, I, I, I always preface things by 
you know, do you want to build a playoff team or do you want to build a Stanley Cup champion? And, and there's a difference there. And you can do both and you can do them separately and then hopefully you do them together. And there is a right. time where you have to, you realize that this group is the group you're going for and yeah, now they need to get in. Now they need to learn that. But uh, that's where, all this reminds me of, and I, I was, one of the few times I had a chance to talk to Jerry West when he was a Lakers executive and this is back at the forum. And, you know, all the success he's had, but he's made some moves that weren't as successful too. But he would say, I'm still going to make the same type of move next year because that's what I believe. That's my plan. That is the, the foundation that I believe. That's why he's hired as the GM. And even though the first move he made didn't work, doesn't mean he's going to pull the same type of move the next time down the road because that's what he believes. Now, you get to a point where if it doesn't work, Five, six, seven for a GM. Five, you know, their their life expectancy is longer than coaches. Coaches, you know, the the shelf life is usually a little bit shorter than a GM. So as GMs get a little bit longer, but you you again, that's that's it's back to the your first question is what the king's learning here. It's it's you devise and develop your plan, and you stick with it. This is why I also look at it and say. To anyone looking at this year, now you always want to make the postseason, and it is always a goal to make the postseason, it's always a goal to win the Stanley Cup. You don't walk into a season saying, well, eh, we're not going to do that this year. We're, we're just, you know, e- even even the most cynical fan will, will not walk into a season saying, we walk into a year and we expect the team to tank. No. But the Kings can realistically walk into the season saying, well, yeah, it's our goal to make the postseason. But our plan is this is a much longer-term thing. Like, we want to get the foundation right. We want to make sure that we are building the right habits and building a team that we expect over time will compete for a championship. But you can't walk into the season realistically and and say, well, our goal this year, this year specifically, is we have to win the Stanley Cup. If if that were the case, then none of the moves that the, that the Kings made coming into the season would make any sense. Because yeah, yeah. right now, right now we're we're in the process of building this thing. Yeah, for sure, it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, that's. But it just brings to mind to me the different people that make up an organization. Players, the most important part. Right. I don't think. Wait, it's not the broadcasters. Well, Back to your point earlier about maybe the Kings not making money every year, or at least on paper, that is because they pay the TV play-by-play guy too much money. What? That would be the reason for the inability to get back to an even ground or make money. But that's aside. <laughs> Players, most important, it's, it's never. You can talk about teams tanking. You talk about positioning. You can, you can never make the sale to me that a player will agree with a long-term goal. (laughs) They're there for the now. They're there for right right now, let's win. Tank it, why? Tank it so your team finishes lower, so you get a better draft pick, so that draft pick comes and takes your job next year? (laughs) No. Exactly, right. (laughs) That's not good. When the team wins, everyone benefits. Every, and if it if it doesn't happen with the current team, it'll happen down the road. It will. They will benefit. 
if you win. Then you go to the coaches. The coaches' foresight is, is, is maybe a little bit longer than a player's. Coaches are still about now, but they're also about developing and how do I get my guy this year ready for next year? Do I put him in a situation where I know we're going to lose the game tonight, but next year when we're knocking on the door for the playoffs, that, that sentiment's going to take that face off and I don't have to worry about the matchup because I have prepared him. I've worked him hard. I put him in situations. Then you have the GM. The GM is thinking down the road. He's not thinking, yeah, he, he wants to win a step, but he's thinking about this year. He's thinking about the three-year plan. He's thinking about the five-year plan. He's thinking about a salary cap. He's thinking about what happens here when we win here and these contracts come due. So there's a whole bunch of all those categories that come into it. And 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 that's that's now of course who's the boss? The GM's the boss. And that's why the coach's shelf life is a little bit shorter than the GM. The uh it brings me to the the idea that uh, the Kings are uh you know still maybe a little bit away from being a Stanley Cup contender. I, we, we, we'll talk about this in a little bit. I think we both fully believe that the format this year will, will benefit them. But they made moves in the off season, and as I look at the cap-friendly page, which is just a <laughs> phenomenal tool. I can't go a day without looking at it now. Uh, the Los Angeles Kings this year have $12 million in cap space. Think about that. We $12 million to play around with. And that's not even looking forward looking at contracts for next year when the projected cap in an 81 flat cap world, $81.5 million in cap, the Kings will have a cap hit of $53 million. That will be one of the lowest in the league. And that brings me to what they did this offseason. They brought in Leish Anderson in a bargain basement deal to get him from the New York Rangers. They traded for Ole Mata in a bargain basement deal to get him from the Chicago Blackhawks. Neither of these moves, taken just in a vacuum, will win the Kings a Stanley Cup. But to your point about years prior, and again, circumstances were different with Shen and Simmons, you're bringing in a guy in Ole Mata, let's say defensively, that I look at and say, whoa, that takes a little bit of pressure off of Sean Walker and Matt Roy and Mikey Anderson and this younger defense that's going to have to play together. This guy can eat up minutes, right? And Leish Anderson, guy who, hey, if he pans out, great. If not, whatever. We didn't lose very much. Andreas Athanasiu, cheap one-year contract. Like, this is this is a team that's, that's okay. If, if they work out, great. If not, it's not like it's damaging the long-term goals of the franchise. That's my read on it, at least. I, I think they're looking for pieces. And whether those are long-term pieces or short-term pieces, that's something that I'm sure they're thinking about and they made the moves based on the plan that they have. But Mata, for me, is interesting because he has two Stanley Cups, but he's only 26 years old. As a defenseman that plays the style he plays, I give him another five years in his prime. I know the people that do the analytics will say you start deteriorating when you're 22, whatever it is, 24, and... You go, but just with his style, I think is is a good fit for this team because will he can he still be around in five to six years and be an impact player for his role? His role, generally speaking, is a support player. It's not an impact player. But when he was winning Stanley Cups, he was he's pretty big on the list. He was doing the so I I still think 
he can help now, but I still think because of his age, he can help down the future when the Kings are knocking on the door for a playoff spot. With Leas Anderson, to me, it's interesting because seventh overall pick, which means you have skill. There's no question. But he has that shift disturber type of personality, the pest. The modern day hockey NHL has that nowadays. Every team has that. To the point where you, the best combination is Marchand, where you talk about he's a pest, but at the same time, he is one of the best players in the league. Now, Anderson is nowhere near that. The one thing I think Anderson is going to try to figure out for himself, and just hearing him speak early in camp here, the thing that stuck out to me was this. I believe he realizes his own weakness. He used the word mature or maturity a million times. What I've seen before from shift disturbers that have a bit of skill is this. Are they being the pest they are to help the team? Or are they being the pest they are to draw attention to themselves? And if it's the latter, you're in trouble. And maybe that was part of his stuff. You can alienate yourself from teammates very quickly by getting yourself and them into situations that they just don't want to be into because you want to be the, the vocal point. You want to be, everyone's looking at me. Woo, yeah, I'm, I'm tough. Yeah, well, win the game. And, and, and if he's learned that, then I think you have a, a bottom six forward, but a third line forward, maybe not this year. We'll see how, with, and again, I, I heard him described as this. He can play up and down the lineup. And I think that's important because I think he has the skill to play. You know, he could fill in for two weeks on the top line because he has the speed and quickness and skill to keep up. Is that his perfect role? Maybe not. So risk versus reward, both of those guys. Athanasiu, same situation. Your risk is, is nil. I mean, free agent, Mata, free agent. Anderson cost you a second-round pick, but he was a first-round pick. He was seventh. He was top ten. Pieces. That's what I think the Kings are looking for, pieces right now. Whether those pieces become impact pieces or they're just role pieces, as long as they're pieces. And with the age of those players we're just discussing, they can be here now. They can be gone next year. But you didn't lose lots because you didn't give much up. At the same time, they're young enough to stay with you and be with you when it is time to make the playoffs. Right. If you strike gold, you've just picked up a player drafted two spots after Elias Pettersson. You've just picked up a player that two years ago scored 30 goals. And you just picked up a player that a couple of years ago was winning Stanley Cups for not very much. So I, I'm I'm looking at it like, great. If it, if it all works out, great. If it doesn't, I'm not angry about it because it doesn't really change the long-term plan. Um, around the league, we we uh, it was an interesting off-season, short uh, and constrained by economics, constrained by the question of whether we would even play this season. And I mean, the big big moves that we saw were impacted by the change in the business. You know, I'm thinking of Alex Petrangelo who may have been on the outs with St. Louis and winds up in Vegas. 
you know, I'm I'm looking at Vancouver, who, uh, you know, they they got a chance to pick up Nate Schmidt as a result of that deal with you know for you know pennies on the dollar, relatively speaking. Uh, were, were there any moves that stuck out to you this off season about you know with either free agency or um, player movement, maybe even lack thereof? Because there are still yeah. some. I mean, Mike Hoffman has signed a, a tryout contract, yeah. even though that's that's just a temporary you know, a, a technicality. It's temporary yeah. until someone else gets moved or put, right. put on long term IR, and then he can they can use that money to yeah, sign yeah, him yeah. and all that. Yeah, you know, no, no it's the, the thing that it just comes to mind are, are two concepts. And and they apply to the Kings in some circumstance, and that is the salary cap room, which you brought up earlier. Again, Rob Blake and his group, the team, their biggest decision, right, is when to use that. Mm. It's not that they have it, when to use it. And so the Kings are in a great position, right? Great position that way, cap. The thing that came to mind to me, though, is this, is, is Alexander Ovechkin. The cap is going to be flat for a few years now. It's not going up. It's just not. The COVID ramifications for a lot of businesses, including the NHL, will not allow that cap to go up. The revenues will not be generated enough for that cap to go up. So now the caps are in a situation where they have to resign him. I'll restate that. They don't have to resign that. <laughs> sign him but he'll be a free agent his contract will come due do, what do you re-up on that he was asking for 12 million before and I would have said pay him pay that man and his money how can they they probably can't right because yeah. they signed Backstrom who's a little bit younger probably a player because of his finesse can have an impact on a game without you know even for a few more so that's it's just the things that come to mind to me is man that's a tough situation now for Washington and Ovechkin, because I'm sure he wants to stay there. And, you know, he's going to take a hit. He's going to take a pay cut to stay around. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. No, again, the kid. Sidney Crosby yeah. basically decided to take yeah. a pay cut to stay Home in Pittsburgh. discount, right? Is that what they call it? Yeah. Yep. So, yep. and again, the Kings are in a position where when the time comes, they can use that, that cap space. That could be now. That could right be now to take that, over, that, you know, contract of another player we've seen it before right where you acquire a player knowing that the other team's trying to get rid of that room and they give you some prospects or or assets for that okay the kings still have that option whether it happens or not we don't know they still have that option uh, the the other thing and I, i've discussed it's the covid situation it's just difficult is because of the stage the Kings are in as a franchise with their players and development, this hurts the Kings more than most teams because the Kings need 12 to 15 players to be playing at a non-NHL level because the development of those players are hugely important. Independent sources, right, are ranking the Kings prospects in the top three, top five Around the league, everyone's doing that. But now, because of COVID, they don't have a chance to play. Or they might not be in the position to play where the Kings would want them to, to maximize that development. And that's where they're going to have to dance around things, at least for a year. But how much does that year hurt them? Does it hurt them enough for, you know? So one area where it helps the Kings, the salary cap, it'll probably be a bonus that the cap stays flat. 
I think the Kings will be able to catch up to the rest of the league a little bit quicker under those circumstances than if teams could just continue to spend and spend and spend. I mean, Vegas is that team right right now, right? right. They they have to win now. They have to win now because the cap's not going anywhere. They're not going to be able to add players. Every time they add a player, they're going to have to get rid of someone. But at some point, if they don't win, do you know what's going to hit the fan? And oh, yeah. they're going to have to retool. If you win, it's all worth it. If you win once, it's all worth it. I don't care if you mortgage that future for, I don't care how many, you win once, it's important. So, but that's their situation they're in with a cap. Kings are in a good situation, but development, unfortunately, not a good situation. Yeah. The good news for a lot of the, the Kings prospects as I was going through and building my uh, my depth chart and off-season roster uh, just in my notes was that I still look at the ages for all these guys, and it's 19 and 20, and, like, they're still young. But I, I agree, Jim. I mean, they need, they need to play. And even on this, you know, taxi squad-type environment, you're not, you're not playing games. That's not helpful to be on a taxi squad. So I, I'd be fascinated to see, you know, the, the plan from the American Hockey League is to play, and the Ontario Reign plan to play in El Segundo. Uh, I was actually hoping that, uh, and maybe they, they still will, um, find a way to, to play some games at Staples Center. Um, you know, even though fans can't attend, you know, you're still playing in an NHL rink. Uh, you know, you maybe it's a doubleheader. Maybe you, you stream some games and, you know, I, I I don't know feasibility of any of that, but uh, I think it would help to to get some of those because while playing games in El Segundo is is good from a a control standpoint in terms of keeping the same environment, uh, monitoring players, um, you know, and it's 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 convenient for a variety of reasons, locker room space and whatnot. Uh, I I hope that there's an opportunity for uh, further development because you're right. It's this season is a a wash in a lot of respects from a, a development standpoint. Um, Cause you can't play a full year and there's no substitute for that. I, as you know, I'm a big advocate of college hockey and I love that as a development path for young players, but it's, you know, in a nor in a good year, it's 34 games. And for kids that need more, that's not the best path for them. Well, guess what? If you're a, in a, a, a new pro and you're 20, 21 and you're coming into the national hockey league soon, you need to play games, and uh, I'm hoping that the AHL gets sorted out. And you know, for <laughs> for all the reasons in the world, I hope get, that gets back to normal. But you know, for for that league that d- depends on fans in the stands, uh, there is a a desperate need to get back to normal in the fall, for sure. Um, all right, that, that brings me to my next point or next question, I guess. So we talked about bubbles. And uh, and the NHL working in one. Well, we're not in one now. <laughs> we got a whole season in this big wide world, and even though yeah, it's a different division structure, and uh, you're you're only playing games against your division. We're going out into the world now, and I would expect there are going to be challenges. In fact, we saw one as we taped this today on Friday. The Dallas Stars announcing they will not start the season on time. They had six positive tests among their players, two more among their support staff. They won't begin play until January 19th at the earliest. And that took me, you know, like, okay, well, I was all optimistic about the season, and now I'm looking over my shoulder again like, hmm, you know, there's still a raging pandemic out there, and we're trying to play in the middle of one, and hmm, how's that going to work? 
I think the one thing that I'm looking through right now, and when I looked at it the first time, and I'll be honest, I haven't looked at it league-wide, but I looked at the King schedule and I noticed two fairly large breaks in a schedule where everyone says everything's going to be so compacted. Talking three to four to five days off in between games. Well, it's supposed to be compacted. Where's Well, now I'm making the assumption. I haven't really heard it point blank said out in public, but the NHL is building a buffer zone into this schedule based on games that will be rescheduled, canceled, postponed, whatever you want to call it. So yeah, it's not a bubble. It's 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 going to be close. And risk is going to be, you know, again, I, I've read that protocol. It is amazing the things they have thought about. Teams traveling, where you have to sit on the plane. Can you change seats on the plane? Do the same people have to be around? It's, it's, it's incredible the detail it goes into. So it's not just when you're at the rank and what, everything is into this. But still, there's going to be some positive results. We've just seen it. It's going to happen. So there will be a need to, to postpone, I, I think. And the other sports have done that. Major League Baseball had to do it. Uh, the NFL had to do it. And so that's, that's where you're at. And you, you realize through the nature of the sport. Now, having said that, you know, health is a huge concern. Risk is a word we've used quite a bit in our little chat today. I hope, I mean, who? we hope nothing serious happens in the health nature, but the risk, you know, players will get it, but the risk is fairly low as far as it endangering their health. It will happen. There will be some a player that will probably get COVID, and, you know, they did know they had an underlying health factor that, they, that comes to the forefront because of COVID, and then they may have to miss time. They may have to... You know, have some medical treatments, uh, but I, I, you know, when we went into the when we ended the last season and went into the playoffs, I was always optimistic. I'm going to be optimistic now, and when I read that protocol document, it makes me even more optimistic that the people that are in charge here know exactly what they're doing. I'm cautiously optimistic. We'll get all all 56 games in in the regular season. I think between the buffer time and also. I was impressed by, even though, yeah, it's a 56-game schedule that has to be done before the second Saturday in May, there's still, even you know beyond those little buffer spaces of four or five days at a time, there are other holes yeah. in the schedule that if you need to push a game back, or honestly, you, know, you look at Anaheim, the fact that the Kings play Anaheim five times in the span of like 12 yeah. days, like if you had a game canceled early in the season or postponed early in the season, and you needed to fill that hole, you could move another one of those Anaheim games yeah. up because they're right in your exactly. backyard. The travel, because the divisions are geographically based, more so than ever this year, you're right, Alex, the travel will, the, the lack of travel or the lessened travel will allow them to, to make up those games more so than, the, oh, we had a game because of snow, postponed, in Philadelphia. Now you get to the end of a normal regular season uh, at the end of the first week in April, and the Kings have to fly to Philadelphia to play that game, then fly back to play the first game of the playoffs. That's where it's difficult. Under the geographic structure, I think it's going to be a lot easier. It's a great point you made there, a great point where the makeups will be 
There'll be trouble. There'll be difficult. But travel will be less of a concern. I was always amused by the hand-wringing in the uh, NFL this season. Oh, we had to play a game on a Wednesday afternoon. Oh, what a terrible setback. You got all the games in. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's all that matters right now. Like, let's not worry about, you know, being perfect here. Nobody's going to be perfect right now. Just get all the games in. Um, all right, so division realignment. I'm going to uh, to go first with kind of broad picture uh, of looking at all the divisions. Then I'm going to narrow it down, and I'm going to I'm going to wind up with asking you kind of what you're most looking forward to league wide and with the Kings. But I want to start big picture with the new divisions, with the All Canada Division. Um, is first of all, I think we both we're both in agreement. We love the format. We love the division heavy format. I don't know about yeah. I, I I love traveling as a part of the gig to you know every city every year. But if I had to do a trade off between that and getting more games in division, even in a normal year, I'd almost rather that. I've been a I've been a proponent of, uh, and I hope I get my terms correct here. The Stanley Cup has never been won by a Pacific time zone team in a schedule that did not do them a favor traveling-wise. Mm. Meaning where you have to play all the all the East Coast teams an equal amount of time and all of that. I think when a Pacific division... Pacific time zone team has won a Stanley Cup. There's always been a lean in the schedule towards a little bit of help as far as travel. Uh, And, you know, what? we have to do what the fans want as much as possible. And if they want the one and one every year against the East, at least at a minimum, then that's what I think we have to do that. Research tells you that it sounds great, but attendance is not always better in those games compared to playing the same team eight times. No. It's, it's, it, so attendance is better. And having said all that, that it was a must to do what they did. Now, I'm, I'm going to jump ahead, Alex, to the to the yeah. league-wide. The thing I'm looking forward to is the Canadian division. I have roots in Canada. I'm Canadian still. That's that's. That, I'm wearing my roots there T-shirt, you go. even though I'm there not Canadian. Go. You got a Canadian-based company. <laughs> You're sporting it, and it's just—it's just interesting, only because I know how Canada is going to react. And you know what? I think it's been received positively by people here in the U.S. who who don't really, you know, have the the experience with what it's like to watch a game in Montreal, or you know. Now, having said that, I've watched a game at Staples Center. Like I said, it's it's phenomenal. The loudest, crazy. My memories will always be Staples Center during the Stanley Cups. But country ride culture t- speaking, it's can't, that Canadian division is just yeah. interesting. It will truly be hockey night in Canada <laughs> there you go. every single yeah. night. And honestly, this was another question that I had, but I, th- I think we both are in agreement here too. I think that that division, even though it has one less team, Seven teams vying for four spots. 
I think it's going to be tougher to make the playoffs in that division than in any of the other ones because you have six teams right now walking into the season that are pretty good and could challenge for a playoff spot. Maybe even you could say all seven because Ottawa reloaded this offseason more than I thought people would, you know, had walked into the season. And thinking. people will, I mean, I'm just going to look at it from afar. And those seven teams are probably closer together. There, there's less distance between the best team and the worst team than, than the other divisions out there. You know, Toronto maybe, you know, on paper, they look like they might be a head ahead, not head and shoulders ahead of uh, the next no. best team. But, but as you go through that division, it's, it's pretty tight based on just where each of the franchises are right now. Montreal, you mentioned, you know, added improved. some pieces. Uh, yeah, they improved and in goal, especially bringing in Jake yeah. Allen. Three um, years ago, I say Winnipeg you know, would be at the top of that division, but they've had to come back due to personnel issues. Right? Over, but again, that's what I'm saying. Everyone's coming back to the middle in that in that division, as opposed to there being a, a huge front runner. Uh, I don't know if there is one there. No, I mean, you know, the well, West where we are, the 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 Honda NHL West Division. <laughs> Is, <laughs> oh God! Don't get me started on hell. We'll, we'll save that, that for press another. release. We'll looked. save that for another day. But I mean, uh, you know, I, I think it's it's fair to say that there are three teams that are ahead of the other five, and yeah. and, and yeah, I fair. don't see that in the Canadian division. Not yet, at least. Um, I mean, that that might uh, the trade deadline will be yeah. fascinating there too. Not because of the border ramifications, because of the fact that everybody's going to be so close. Um, and the fact that a lot of these teams, probably with the exception of Ottawa, are up against the salary cap. So there's not a lot of wiggle room there. Okay, West Division, maybe even let's narrow it down to the the, the Kings. Like As it pertains to our little eight-team universe this year, what are you looking forward to the most? Well, uh, I'm looking forward to the fact that even though it's not a high priority for me, development is, but now that development has come, been kind of taken out of the hands of the Kings, more so than a normal year, I see three front runners, but then I see five teams grouped together that, Ed, excuse me, when, when you take a look, Kings, Ducks, Coyotes, Wild, Sharks. Who's better than who? I mean, it's now in a normal Western Conference alignment, Colorado, St. Louis, Vegas, who are the Kings division now, but you'd also add into that mix Edmonton, Calgary, Vancouver, Dallas, Winnipeg, Nashville. Now it's more difficult to make the playoffs, I think, in the old structure than it would be this year. Is it going to be easy? No. Do I expect the Kings? Well, I, I again, the five teams I put them in a group with, I don't, I can't say the Kings are better than that group, but it's a difficult argument to say those teams are better than the Kings. I think it's a very realistic proposition to say the Kings will be a playoff team this year. That is a realistic statement. If if you're you know if you're looking at it strictly based on what we think the the division will play out. But to get there, so this is an interesting group, Jim, and I'll conclude on this. The, the, this is an interesting group. 
Because you've got guys that have been around. You've got Brown, Kopitar, Carter, Quick, Doughty. And then you've got everybody else, right? You've got the next wave of guys that are coming in that are, you know, gonna that are on bridge contracts. You've got all these prospects that are being drafted coming in. Like in terms of the team, and maybe even a player, like sticking out to you. What are you looking at this season? Normally, I would say, you know, the the young prospect group that is going to show us what they have and maybe give us a glimpse of where they might be five years from now. But again, because of the situation and the the development hit that the Kings are going to take, to me, it is Drew Doughty. And he's the most interesting thing I'm looking at. He He's... I'm going to go off on one quick tangent here if I can. Drew sure. spoke to the media when he came to King's Camp and they, you know, he was asked about his criticism around the league and and you know, he he addressed it by saying he was back in Canada and he's watching TSN and they were all over him. That's not And then I I I I read tweets from people and I I heard podcasts where people were saying Drew Doughty is blaming the media for his <laughs> drop in production or his no, he didn't do that. He was asked a question. Where did he hear about, where is he hearing those things? He told us directly, like Drew does all the time. I heard him when I was back at home and the sports network in Canada is TSN. And much like our ESPN, instead of talking about just one, one sport here, they, in Canada, all they do is talk about hockey. Yeah, they have the Raptors and they have, the, you know, but it's hockey, hockey. And yeah, he's taken some criticism there. And he pointed that out. He pointed out that he has not heard that from his peers. But at no time did I hear he's, you know, it's the media cost. No, I didn't hear that. But Well, you know what was kind of funny was he, uh, as, as he described, they did a rollout on TSN of like the projected roster yeah. for the Olympic team. Like if he had to build one here today and Drew was left off of that. And uh, like he's a he's an Olympic gold medalist, and was on the World Cup of Hockey team uh, that won a championship in 2016. And he's a, he was a finalist for the Norris Trophy still just what a couple of years ago, 2018. Like okay, so you're, you're leaving him off all these lists. You're saying he's finished, he's done. No, <laughs> he's still but, he's wait he's 30, but, but 31. Did his game, and I'm, I'm going to use turn. Did his game slip? Yes, it did. 100%. And, and I'm not going to say it slipped as much as it changed. And why did it change? Because I think, in my opinion, he was trying to do too much. He found himself on a team that was not competing for the playoffs. He's trying to find ways to get this team more competitive. I will say this about Drew. At no time while he was trying to do too much, and I'm, a, I'm in agreement with that because I, I've, I've said it in the past, about Drew Doughty. Drew, never change a thing. Do not change a thing. The way you approach the game, the way you play the game, the way you read, the, do not change a thing. And then going back to the end of a season ago, and then going back to last year, I, I saw him making decisions on the ice that I thought were, he was forcing it. Now, well, here's Alex, the, I need to we, say. We had a great argument about this. I'll have to say this. At no point did I see him forcing it offensively. I never saw him cherry-picking for points or making these aggressive right. 
scattered, wild plays offensively. Wasn't cheating. No, he wasn't cheating that way. Was he running around his own zone more than I've seen? Yes. Yes. I, I thought he was trying to do too much. Is he trying to stand up and be back at the same time? <laughs> you know, you can't do that. Right. Yeah. And, and But that that's... So his game, the effectiveness of his game has taken a hit. Well, put this way, if the Kings are going to make the playoffs, I would say Drew Doughty playing to his usual decision-making ability will be a huge determining factor in whether the Kings make the postseason. As As important a player as the Kings have. No question. Back to the playoff runs, no player continued to improve and get better as a playoff series went along than Drew Doughty. And then from series to series, by the end, he was always in contention for the consummate trophy. He was always there because he just kept getting better and better. I'm just bringing that up because, again, Drew doesn't, as the team changes around Drew, I think Drew will settle down and get into, but that's the first time in his career I've seen that from him. Having said that, there's talk about, you know, Olimata is being brought onto the Kings to be that partner for Drew and love it. I love the stay-at-home, solidifying nature of Amada. You know, I know Drew, even Drew mentioned, you know, he's had to mentor certain guys over the years and that takes... Having said that, the salary category that Drew is, he's in a category where you don't look for players around him to make him better you look for him to make players better around him. Right. That's, that's, so there's a catch 22 there. There's, you know, or, or there's two different, two sides of the, the coin. Love the Mata, Mata acquisition. Love it because of his style, who he can be paired with. At the same time, Drew has to know that he has to be the difference maker. He's not a support player. He's an impact player. And he will be. He is. The one thing that brings me back to this, and it's just a colleague of ours, and that's Ken Danico. He does NHL network work. And he does work, of course, for the New Jersey Devils. And every time I talk to him, he says, no matter. He, he says, I don't care what his plus minus is. I don't care. Drew Doughty is still one of the best. And, 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 and Ken will say the best defenseman in the league. And I watch, I've watched Drew more than anyone in his career. More than anyone I've watched him. And uh, to hear an outside source like that say something like that, it just, we know. And, and, and I'm going to bring it up here. It, this is a Kings-related. And my, my, my apologies to my fellow media who voted on the Kings' best defenseman last year. It was not Matt Roy. And my apologies to Matt Roy. Because you had a phenomenal year, you had a breakout year, you improved, you you took you took the bull by the horns and you went with it. Best defenseman on the Kings last year was Drew Doughty. No question in my mind. That's my opinion, and I, and I understand how a voting like that goes. I understand that. We want to recognize Matt Roy for his his improvements, his impact on the Kings, his plus minus on a team that was not. You want, to, you want to respect that and give him credit for that, and you want to award him for that. Drew Doughty's game did not fall off enough where he was not the best defenseman on the Kings. Believe me. Or don't. 
Well, that's the, that's why we pay you the big oh, bucks. That's, you think you think my I understand. I, again, we. I'll be honest. When I filled out my ballot, I wanted to vote for Matt Roy too. I did, but then I just went. You know, best defenseman on the Kings. Well, and I think an award like that is colored by the fact that you're playing based off of expectations yes. walking into a season, yes. but also relative to capability. Because was Drew Doughty playing to his capability last year? Absolutely yep. not. And, and, hence and he the, would be the first to tell hence, you that. Oh, what I sound a... Ergo, uh, that's why, <laughs> you know, we, we want to reward Matt. Because he, you know, I was doing an NBC game and uh, I was on the benches or between the benches. And at one of the breaks, TV timeouts, uh, Jamie Ben skates over to the bench for Dallas. He says to me, who's that number three? <laughs> and I, he says, how old is he? So, you know, I take out my card and I give him a little brief rundown on the bio and Matt Roy. And just that to me, now I know he's having an impact on the game. Oh, because yeah. when another player and like Ben, who's who's a he's a tough guy, you know, and he, and the reason he was noticing Matt was because Matt was giving him some trouble that game, giving him a tough time, giving him you know, left winger, right defenseman, you know, matched up. Uh, that 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 really caught my attention of you know, where Matt is because he's getting the attention of a player like Ben. Put this way, put this way, um, in the next six to seven to ten months, Matt Roy will get paid. He's playing on a league minimum contract right now. <laughs> he, he's going to be a restricted free agent. He will get paid. And just like Mata at age 26 and just like Sean Walker at age 26, Matt Roy's 25. Like, they're all in the same age range. So if you are looking into your crystal ball and saying, hmm, are they building this for, you know, in the next three years or so for these guys to be in their prime and be able to do something special, just keep that in the back of your head that, you know, they're all right there together. But with this prospect Uh, pool that the Kings have, and I know Matt's not a prospect anymore. He's a player. He's an NHL player. But with this prospect group, to me, Alex, it's great. It's it's from, you get as many as you can. But bottom line factor is there will be a time where some of these kids will be packaged. Yeah, because you can't. Your point is well taken. You can't have the so many kids at the same age, at the same stage of their development, all to get you know that. So that's but that's what you that's why you compile them. So when when the time yeah. to pull the trigger is there, you pull it. And there is a lot of money. To be spent. And as we know from years and years and years, Mr. A is willing to spend it. That being Phil Anschutz, the owner of the team. All right. Time to wrap. We've gone over an hour. That's uh, your first one back. You know, we're back. And we got Yeah, well, we got it. We had a lot to cover in in one. Uh, but I, I am excited in in a different way for opening night. There are going to be no fans in the building. Our jobs are going to be a little bit different for this year. We are not traveling with the team. I think maybe, maybe if we're lucky, we'll be in Anaheim, and those will be the only road games that we'll actually cover in person. And quite frankly, and I'm going to sound, I'm going to do a disservice to the guild of play-by-play broadcasters in the National Hockey League for this one season only. I'm perfectly fine with that. Because I don't need to be hopping around and 
you know, you think of it like it's going to be tough on these players to try to do all the protocol uh, on the road and confine to your hotel rooms. I don't know about you. When I travel, I enjoy going out and seeing a city and having a nice dinner and 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 you know being social and and talking to the other people from uh, the the opposition and the other broadcasters around the league. You won't be able to do that this year. All that is taken away. So why bother? Like we'll we'll have a little bunker set up. It, it, it's my understanding, either uh, just outside Staples Center or or maybe somewhere nearby. But uh, you know we're going to be doing the road games off a of television monitor, which it wasn't awful when we did it in the playoffs on radio. Like we we got by. You know there are some things that you do miss by not being there, but we'll do the best we can. And I I know you 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 know you don't exactly accumulate frequent flyer miles at the the same rate that I have uh, over the years, Jimmy. So it's not uh, it's not that big a deal. I you've 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 done enough traveling in forty. I will years. make a uh, a pledge, <laughs> which will be broken three minutes into the first game. <laughs> I have nothing to complain about this year. We're back oh. working. We're back yeah. playing. I'm going to be doing it off a monitor. Hey Jim, adjust. It'll be it'll be fun. I'm just excited to get back to doing hockey. I've I've done college football, I've done basketball, I've done tennis. I've been super lucky to do all that. Nothing compares, and I am so pumped to get back to work at uh, at Staples Center. Well, you did French uh, on Open. January you couldn't 14th. go around Paris. You couldn't see it. it you <laughs> stuck uh, in your hotel. Not really. We walked around a little yeah. bit. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't like it was a free for all. Although uh, I, I wish, in some ways, we could have had that. Uh, just in, yeah. we we wanted to pass all our COVID tests so that we'd be allowed to leave the country. Put that way, <laughs> I did not want to be stranded for two weeks in a foreign How country. How many times have uh, you been tested? Did... Yeah, me? Because I know you. Gosh, forty or fifty. Like I've I've been doing them basically twice a week at Fox for college football and basketball. Uh, although that'll stop now that I'm back doing hockey. But I, like I, there may be like we may be doing the the daily or not daily, but um, you know regular testing as we do uh, games downtown. But I I don't know about that in our protocol yet. I guess we'll yeah. find that out over the next few days. But uh, let me tell you, uh, it's. Like I live, I live my daily life not in because you know age gap, right? And we've gotten together a fair amount over the summer, um, you know, at a, at a very you know safe distance. And uh, the philosophy that I've had as a younger person who could probably walk around with impunity, really, and I, I don't have as much to be fearful of here, and I'm going to be perfectly honest about that. You know what I don't want is I don't want a positive test that then holds me out of work for two weeks. That's what scares me. That's what keeps me going on the protocols. It isn't, well, nothing's going to affect me. I'm healthy and whatever. And I'm, I've, I'm perfectly confident in all of that. But you don't know, first of all. And second of all, how embarrassing would it be for me to have a test that sidelines me for two weeks? That would be embarrassing we'll for me. They'll do it from your home. They'll put a studio in your home. I don't they, want that. I don't want that. I want to be where the action is, and whether that's you know in a studio off of a monitor or at Staples Center, and that would be my message to, to younger people listening to this. And maybe it's a fitting way to, to conclude this is just we're in January. It's going to be an awful month. It's going to be an awful next couple of months until you know we all get vaccinated. But 
you can be my age, you're 31, and not be affected. Almost 32. All right, that's fine. Well, almost. Well, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, we'll see uh, when, whenever that birthday gets celebrated. Uh, probably, uh, probably uh, won't make a big deal out of it. But um, I like legitimately. I don't want to take off work. So if if you're uh, if you're like me at all, and you don't want to be sidelined from anything in your life, just you know take it seriously. I've gone, I've traveled, I've you know gone ten months without having a positive test. It's it's not that difficult to just be cognizant of others. That's all it is. Just it's not that hard. And I have to sit next to. Well, there. You know what? Here's the thing, and I'll I'll end on this. Jim Fox. You used to work with Bob Miller, and uh, Bob's a legend, Hall of Famer. But I have done something, at least my understanding, and maybe maybe it'll change by the time we get to opening night, that Bob could never do after 27 years of working with you, and that's get a plexiglass divider between <laughs> the play-by-play and As much as he tried. <laughs> <laughs> and on, on that note... I think it's time to end. So uh, appreciate uh, everybody stopping by and listening. Hit the subscribe button. Thank you so much to our producer, Jesse Cohen, uh, for all the hard work and putting all together the the audio content uh, that, that gets pumped out from, from the LA Kings, the All the Kings Men show, All the Kings Men Live. Uh, he does a phenomenal job. And uh, we will see you on a regular basis. And we hope uh, we hope to hear from you with maybe some listener questions uh, by the next time we do this. So until then, enjoy opening night. And we will see you later.